I'm now joined by Mark Yusko, founder and CEO of Morgan Creek Capital Management, who's a global asset manager overseeing around $2 billion in assets. And back in February, they launched their second ETF, the Morgan Creek Exos Active SPAC Arbitrage ETF, ticker symbol CSH. That followed last year's launch of the Morgan Creek Exos SPAC Originated ETF, ticker SPXZ. And I should note that Mark is also portfolio manager on the recently launched Advisor Shares Managed Bitcoin Strategy ETF, ticker CRYP. Now, I'm guessing most listeners are familiar with Mark, but if you're not, he's a longtime industry veteran. I would say uh, perhaps best known for being at the forefront of institutional investing. He was formerly the chief investment officer of the University of North Carolina Endowment, Before that, he was a senior investment director for the University of Notre Dame Investment Office, and he's now on the line with me from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Mark, it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. No, thanks for having me, and thanks for such a great introduction. I appreciate it very much. Well, look, there's a lot I want to ask you about, especially on the crypto side of things, but let's start with this ETF that just launched earlier this year, the Morgan Creek Exos Active SPAC Arbitrage ETF, and... (laughs) Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I know when some people hear SPAC, they're automatically going to think risky, and they're going to start thinking about some of the recent negative headlines around SPACs. So let's start by having you offer a few basics here, just actually on the SPAC structure, and then we'll get into the strategy, because I think when people hear more about this, uh, perceptions will change, shall we say. So first, just explain the basic structure of SPACs. No, look, it's such an important point, and I'm glad you bring it up. It's you know, the misinformation, and, and look, I don't, I don't think it's intentional. I just think it's, it's a little bit confusing. Uh, the media gets it wrong most of the time when they talk about SPACs. You know, they, they talk about the, the post-merger combined entities. Let's just, you know, take one like Virgin Galactic. Uh, Virgin Galactic is not a SPAC. It's an operating company. There was a SPAC. There was something called IPOB that Chamas put together, and he went out and he did a deal where he acquired an interest in Virgin Galactic, and uh, that company now is an operating company. It's just like, we, you know, we don't call Amazon.com an IPO, and we don't call, you know, Coinbase a direct listing. You know, that's how they came public. So Virgin Galactic is an operating company. DraftKings is an operating company. DraftKings is very different than Diamond Eagle Acquisition Corp., which was a SPAC. So let's go back to the the original purpose of a SPAC. A SPAC is called a blank check company. It allows uh, a sponsor to raise a pool of capital, basically like being a a private equity person. Instead of raising from institutions or or other investors, you, you raise from the public market. So you raise a pool of capital. And then you go out and you find a, an acquisition target and you, you allow that company to go public by merging into your uh, SPAC and then you de-SPAC, right? You, you get rid of the SPAC and you create what's called a post-merger combined entity. Kind of a you know, silly term, but that's what it is. And make a long story short, there are a lot of SPACs that exist. And when a SPAC exists, is sold at, at $10 per unit. That, that money then sits in a trust. It sits in an, an inviolable trust and is invested in short-term 
T-bills or treasury securities. So it's one of the few things in life that you can say is, you know, you're guaranteed other than a U.S. government default on those those T-bills. You're guaranteed you're going to make a return on that cash sitting in trust. Now, the second thing you get as a SPAC owner is you get some warrants and you get warrants in these post-merger combined entities. And if the post-merger combined entity does well, those warrants, which can be exercised at $11.50, may have some value. Now, the post-merger combined entity price falls and it doesn't do well. Those warrants don't have value. But, but on average, those warrants have a little bit of value. So if you think about uh, a SPAC, it's a pool of capital invested in treasuries that then liquidates when the deal is consummated and the SPAC de-SPACs and the money either goes into the new company or as an investor in a SPAC, you get to decide you can take your money back. So SPAC arbitrage is this wonderful structural arbitrage that exists because I can buy a SPAC uh, at the IPO at $10, or, or I could even buy it in the aftermarket, sometimes below $10, because they, they go down below trust value sometimes. And then when the deal is announced, I can cash in my, my chips. I can cash in for $10 plus interest, and I keep my warrants. And on average, I can make you know low to mid-single digit returns a very nice return. Well, it doesn't sound like a very nice return. Well, think about it. This has got the risk of short-term assets like cash, and you're getting a return that's significantly better than putting your money in the bank. So if you think about maybe the biggest problem that I see for investors today, financial repression, you know, interest rates have been held down so long, inflation is running so hot, that money that sits in the safest part of your portfolio, cash, cash equivalents, you're basically making zero to 1%. It's all getting chewed up by inflation. It's a really bad trade. So arbitrage, whether it's convertible bond arbitrage, merger arbitrage, statistical arbitrage, there are a lot of different arbitrages. SPAC arbitrage is just another form. And CSH is, we think, a smart alternative to cash. So you have the risk of short duration treasuries and a return profile of maybe, you know, twice as much in terms of of the long-term return. In the SPAC arbitrage ETF, this is actively managed. I'm curious, how often are underlying holdings uh, changing? Again, again, a great question. So remember, two ways that that we would, you know, have an ability to enhance the return on the structure. So one is we could buy SPACs when they trade below trust value. So when, when, a, when a SPAC goes public, it, it trades at $10, you know, goes public at $10, and you get a unit, you get the SPAC unit, plus you get your warrants. Well, that SPAC unit can trade up like it did with uh, you know, the Digital World Acquisition Corp., you know, the one that Trump was going to do, that thing traded all the way, I think, to $80, which is crazy, right? Why would anyone pay $80 for $10 of cash and treasuries? That makes no sense. But 
what they're believing is that the post-merger combined entity will be worth a lot of money. Well, but, but you can wait. You can wait until the post-merger combined entity, and you can buy that um, at, a, at a cheaper price. But in the end, some SPACs will trade above trust value. We sell those, and then we try to buy uh, SPACs that sell below trust value. And on average, we pay you know, 960 970 980 uh, But we're you know, getting $10.20 of value. So that's a, you know, built in four or 5% return. So to answer the question specifically, you know, we, we don't actively day trade, but on average over the course of, of a month, you know, we'll, we'll make a handful of, of transactions where we, we sell the SPACs when they trade above their trust value and we'll, we'll replenish the portfolio with SPACs that trade below their trust value. As I know, you're well aware, the uh, SPAC market overall has clearly slowed down this year. There, there are fewer SPACs coming to market overall. Does that do anything in terms of your ability to find good arbitrage opportunities here? Again, really important question. So the nice thing about arbitrage is it's it's not like active investing in companies. So if I think about, you know, back to our original uh ETF from a year ago, you know, the, the SPAC originated ETF, what you're trying to do there is invest in the companies, right? The post-merger combined entities, what we call the companies of the future. And, and you do that by trying to identify good sponsors who are good at picking good companies that are going to be these innovative, high-growth uh, leaders in the future. And you know, the challenge with that strategy in the past year is all growth stocks have gotten crushed really over the last year and really since last November. And you know, you look at another innovative strategy like, you know, the ARC fund, you know, that's gotten absolutely crushed. Now that's a more concentrated portfolio than our SPXZ, and we're down about half as much as, as ARC this year. Uh, and that's just because equal weighting wins in, in down markets. But anything related to innovation has been really tough. But part of the challenge of investing in innovation is you actually have to determine which companies you think are going to be the companies of the future. Are we going to have more space tourists? Are we going to have more electric vehicles? Are we going to have more battery storage? Are we going to have more online gaming? With arbitrage, you don't have to be smart. Arbitrage is simply about discipline. If if I let's take convertible bond arbitrage. If I can buy a convertible bond and then I convert that convertible bond into equity when the equity price is above the conversion rate, again, I don't have to be smart. I can just convert and, and cash in on that arbitrage. In merger arbitrage, I can, you know, buy a company that, that let's say, you know, Twitter, for example. Twitter, Elon was going to buy it for fifty four dollars. I can buy it you know, $50. And the risk is not market risk. The risk is, does the deal actually happen? So it takes uh, one type of risk and converts into another risk. So you're not making a judgment on which direction the market's going to go. You're just making a judgment. Is that deal going to close or not? Same thing with, with SPAC arbitrage. If I can buy 
a, a SPAC at $9.80 that I know when the deal is announced, I can cash in for $10.20 or $10.30. I've got a built-in return. And again, I don't have to be smart. I just have to be disciplined to make sure I'm constantly buying things either at the trust value $10 or below $10. All right, Mark. So you mentioned that anything related to innovation has been tough. I want to make sure we we spend a few minutes here talking crypto. Uh, Obviously, you're extremely well-versed in this space. You formed Morgan Creek Digital Assets back in 2018. I know you've been an early-stage investor in digital assets and uh, the the technology surrounding this space. And as I noted at the top, you're also a portfolio manager on the Advisor Shares Managed Bitcoin Strategy ETF. And we can certainly talk about that. But what's your take on everything we're seeing in crypto right now? I mean, we've seen some yeah, so high-profile blow-ups. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, the bottom line in crypto is is uh, crypto is an emerging technology, and emerging technologies have high levels of volatility. Why? Well, because of uncertainty about the future. The reason that innovation has been so hammered in the past year is you have increasing uncertainty and disparity of views on the future, right? We don't know how many space tourists there are going to be in the future. We don't know how many electric trucks are going to be sold. And so some people think a big number, some people think a small number. And when that dispersion is really high, you get high volatility. I'll give you an example. So Amazon.com has been a company for 26 years. And in that 26 years, it's volatility Stock price volatility is 80%, 8-0. Interestingly, the same volatility as Bitcoin itself, 80%. Now, Bitcoin's only been around for 14 years, but in 26 years, the uh, Amazon.com has had a double-digit drawdown every year, including this year. The average, this is amazing, is 31%. Mm. So on average, every year for 26 years, you've lost a third of your value. Because the value, you know, the price that people are willing to pay differs from the inherent value. And because there's uncertainty about the future outcome, you get the high volatility. Five times, Amazon dropped more than 50%, twice, 90%. And so I would say, when was the right time to sell Amazon? Well, that would be never. Well, But who bought it at the IPO and held to today? I always joke, Jeff, his mom, his dad, his ex-wife, and Bill (laughs) Miller. That's it. And that uncertainty around crypto today is, you know, rearing its ugly head in that there's a four-year cycle of volatility around the Bitcoin halving cycle. And you can go into the details of that. But the bottom line is the uh, halving just changes the number of rewards that are given to the, the miners, the people that secure the network and make Bitcoin the safest, most secure uh, blockchain on the planet, or computing system on the planet, and make a long, long story short, when people are really excited about that technology, that technological innovation, and that blockchains are simply operating systems that allow us to exchange value digitally for the first time, uh, just like the internet made information digital, we didn't have to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica anymore. Um, and and incredible wealth was created in the internet boom, but we had our booms and busts. We had the boom in the late 90s. We had the bust in 2001, 2002. We had the boom in 2007, 8, and we had the bust in 9, 10. 
And now we're, we, we had a boom again here in the digital asset ecosystem and the bust. So what we did with, with CRYP is we said, you know, there's an interesting strategy called trend following, CTAs. Trend following strategies have been used for decades. In the traditional markets, they worked really, really well in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's been really tough for CTAs, managed future strategies, in the most recent decade because of high-frequency trading and, and a lot of choppiness and the decimalization and the spreads have narrowed. Well, in the digital asset market, particularly Bitcoin, that market tends to trend very well, both up and down, because human beings are still making the decisions. So we use a simple trend-following model to actively manage exposure to Bitcoin, and we try to have some level of cash when the trend is down, as today, and we try to be fully invested when the trend is up. Um, like it was, you know, last year, but we, we didn't start until this year. So we've been in a downtrend really ever since we launched. And today we're, we're about 50% exposed and we've generated very significant alpha versus just holding Bitcoin. And that strategy we've run as a hedge fund at Morgan Creek, uh, for three years now and have dramatically outperformed just holding Bitcoin straight. And then we launched the ETF a couple months ago uh, so the average non-accredited investor could take advantage. Mark, we just have about two minutes left here. On that advisor share uh, shares ETF, CRYP, the underlying Bitcoin exposure is obtained through Bitcoin futures ETFs or actual Bitcoin futures. The question I have for you is, do you have any thoughts on a spot Bitcoin ETF? And I covered this yeah, in pretty... Really, yeah, go ahead. No, really important point. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, the, the, in the infinite wisdom, maybe in air quotes, uh, <laughs> of the SEC, they have not approved a spot ETF, and, and I don't think they're going to approve it anytime soon. And so there were a number of futures-based ETFs that were launched. And while futures is not the best way to get exposure to digital assets, at least get you exposure. And so, yeah, I, I do think... At some point, they're going to be forced to approve a spot uh, future. But in the short run, there's a lot of political pressures against them doing that because, you know, if people can invest in digital assets directly, it has the potential to drain assets from the traditional financial services realm. And there are a lot of people who, who would not like to see that happen. So. I think there's going to be the ebb and flow, very similar to when, remember when GLD got held up, you know, there was going to be this, this futures market uh, for, for a, a gold-backed ETF, and they held it up and held it up and held it up, and, and eventually, after a three-year fight, uh, they got approval. So I think this fight will go on for a while longer, but eventually we'll get a spot ETF. Uh, and that'll be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. The only uh, difference with, with GLD versus a spot Bitcoin ETF is we're now, I believe, going on 10 years since the first spot Bitcoin ETF filing. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully it's not another uh, another 10 years. But Mark, a pleasure connecting. Really enjoyed hearing your perspective. Thank you for joining me this week. No, thanks for having me. Happy to do it anytime and really appreciate uh, all the great questions. That was Mark Yusko, founder and CEO of Morgan Creek Capital Management.